We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. The Chicago Bulls select Kobe White. Levine with the runway. Welcome to Cash Considerations, a Chicago Bulls podcast. I'm Ricky O'Donnell. I'm here as always with Jason Pack. This is a special live episode of the podcast. We're doing it on the Locker Room app. Uh, we're talking about a Bulls loss, 107-103 to the Knicks. The Bulls won the first game of the series against New York. The Knicks come back two days later, beat the Bulls. The game was not as close as the final score would indicate, I would say. The Knicks physically dominated the Bulls uh, inside. There were times where the Knicks looked like an elite offense, when in reality, this is one of the worst offensive units in the league. Uh, I thought the Bulls were really missing Wendell Carter Jr. in this game. It was a layup line to the basket, particularly in the first quarter when the Knicks came out with a 34-17 to advantage. The Bulls had a terrible shooting night. The Bulls did make it interesting late. Uh, so how are you feeling about this game uh, right now, Jason? It was definitely a really frustrating game to watch. Things had been trending a little bit up for the Bulls before this, uh, at least in terms of their first game against the Knicks. But uh, this was this was a pretty brutal game. Yeah, definitely frustrating, just especially with the schedule like this week in general. Like the Bulls had a chance here to maybe even like get back to 500. Uh, they beat the Knicks the first game to end the losing streak. And they come into get the game tonight. If they would have gotten a win here, they got two coming up against the Magic, who've been like the worst team in the NBA since uh, Markel Fultz got hurt. So like they had a chance here to go on like a nice little winning streak, and they blow it. They were terrible from the from the opening tip. They just had no energy. Like as you mentioned, the Knicks. I think the Knicks had something like twenty two straight points in the paint, like to start this game. I don't have that exact number in front of me, in front of me but it was something like that. Just I mean, it was a layup. Like Alfred Payton, who Knicks fans hate, and I understand why because he's incredibly frustrating to watch. And even though the Knicks won the night, Knicks fans are complaining about Alfred Payton. I, I mean, he was getting to the basket at will. Mitchell Robinson on the offensive glass. Julius Randle was bombing threes. Like the Bulls just were not there at all on either end of the court, uh, and just kind of set the tone for the entire night. Uh, like Lowry was awful. We'll talk about Lowry more later. Just his kind of uh, the roller coaster ride of Lowry marketing. But yeah, I mean, for, he was bad. Or the Bulls were bad for almost the entire game. 
they were down, I think they were down 15 going into the fourth. It, the Knicks kind of just, every time the Bulls would make a little run, like the Bulls did recover in the second quarter a bit, but every time the Knicks would make a little run, the Bulls kind of, or the Knicks would hold them off. Uh, I believe, like I said, I believe it was a 15-point game going into the fourth, and the Knicks went up 18. It looked like it would, they were dead in the water. And then the Bulls made a big run, and I thought they were going to win this game. They turned that 18-point deficit down to, I think they got it down to three at one point with a couple minutes left with, with 5.45 left after, after a nice pass from Zach to Lowry, they got it down to three. And then they just, they just kind of went in the tu- down the tubes again. And the offense just kind of fell apart. And those last, the last bit of the fourth quarter was really ugly for both teams. Some really bad turnovers, some, some bad possessions. So as bad as they played all game, they had a chance there down the stretch to, to come back. Denzel Valentine, I know uh, he can be very infuriating to watch, but he was legitimately very good. He sparked that run. And then they just fell short. They did not make enough plays. The Knicks did just enough to hold the Bulls off, so definitely a very frustrating loss tonight. It's given, like I said, the schedule and where they could they could have been if they went on a winning streak. Yeah, the Bulls were just getting nothing easy until the fourth quarter, yeah. and uh, they, they did have a pretty big second quarter, I guess, to to make the game close. They scored right before the halftime buzzer, but in general, like this was just such a classic Tibbs team type of victory. Uh, yeah. this- like a team that like basically has no shooting on the floor, uh, just lost to the Bulls. Like you knew it's going to be hard to beat a Tibbs team twice in three days. Uh, to see what Alfred Payton was able to do against the Bulls tonight was just so damn frustrating because Knicks fans have been hating Alfred Payton. Yeah. Going for the rookie Emmanuel quickly to uh, take over in the starting lineup. Well, today quickly only got 13 minutes. He was glued to the bench most of the game, but he did like rip a couple big threes late in the game. Uh, Peyton was, like, amazing in this game, and it shows just how weak the Bulls' guard defense is. When you talk about the Bulls as one of the worst defensive teams in the league, and, I mean, we have to talk about it because last year this was, a you know, uh, hovering around top 10 overall defense, right? And this season it's been one of the worst units in the league all year. They're 24th overall in defensive rating, I see right here. So, uh, you know. This is a team that's just getting picked apart on defense, and it's because of the guards. I mean, Kobe was really struggling on both ends of the floor tonight. If you look at the all-in-one snap, like Raptor on 538, coming into tonight, it had Kobe as the 12th worst player, 12th lowest-rated player. Uh, I do think that, you know, he's going through a particularly rough stretch in his career right now. Thankfully, he did hit a three late. Uh, he ended with, you know, 13 points on 13 shots, six assists. But to me, Kobe was um, a major negative on the floor for the majority of the game. Uh, the Bulls' turnover problems reared their head once again. I believe the Bulls are averaging just about the most turnovers uh, in the NBA. Actually, the, the Knicks had 17 turnovers tonight and the Bulls only had nine. But still, the Bulls had some frustrating turnovers uh Kobe had a frustrating one late. In in general, it's pretty obvious that like the Bulls are missing a steady hand as a playmaker and as an initiator uh, to get everyone going. So, you know, it's clearly a flawed team in terms of the Bulls. I do think that like they're about as good as the Knicks. Like splitting a series with the Knicks is yep. probably right around their true talent level. If the Bulls were to keep uh, you know, Fad Young and out of Porter and all the veterans throughout the year, like I think the Bulls and the Knicks would both probably be in this play-in tournament, and we could get excited if we wanted to about the race <laughs> for the eighth seed in the Eastern Conference with uh, you know not a lot of outs towards looking to improve the team in the draft. But 
you know, this is just sort of what the Bulls are. They can get hot offensively. The offense ranks 15th this year. That's a major improvement from last season. And it's really weird because the Bulls in general have never had their have never been like an offense first team, right? Like I guarantee that every year the defensive efficiency ranks higher than the offensive efficiency. I believe that's been the case, like going back 15 years, maybe with one exception, but I'm not even sure. So, uh, you know, a lot of the Bulls problems all season, I think, uh, have been on display recently. And yeah, this was just a tough loss because they, they couldn't hit a shot and they were just getting out physical by the Knicks. Yeah, they shot six of thirty-six from three. It's it's crazy that they were in this game considering they shot six of thirty-six from three. They and they still almost shot fifty percent for the game because they were making like every floater they threw up at the basket. And Zach's finishing was incredible. Zach Zach had some Zach had a really weird game. He, he bad shot selection. I think he was zero of seven from three. But there was a point in the third where he just kind of took over and was driving the basket and hit a bunch of shots. And he was still ten of twenty-one even despite going zero of seven from three. With his finishing this year has been crazy. Uh, Thad Young at 19 on 9 of 11 shooting. So, like, he had a really nice game with some of his floaters. We just we did see Patrick Williams have a nice fourth quarter. Uh, our guy, Kevin Farragut, here. Kevin, do you want to talk about Patrick Williams? Sorry, I just brought him up. You want to talk about him? Oh, yeah. I mean, um, I didn't really think that, you know, I thought Patrick was, he was good uh, in the fourth quarter. I just, I would like to see him be more aggressive. Um earlier in the games like I I feel like the talent is definitely there with him and um especially when the Bulls couldn't get uh seemingly any of their outside jumpers to go like he has that ability to uh put the ball on the deck and you know get inside and you know hit mid-rangers or even go all the way to the basket and when the the jumpers aren't falling, you know, to have your team like catch a rhythm or whatever, sometimes it's good to just see the ball go through the basket. And uh, I just don't think he's aggressive enough on offense. Um, sometimes, I mean, I, I think everybody kind of has uh, treated um, him a little bit with kid gloves lately because sure. he is because he is so young and like the the flashes have been so promising. Um, but like. You know, I think it's it's fine to start having a little bit of expectations for him, and especially with the talent that is obviously there. So it's just like I think it's a mindset thing where he's. I think initially a lot of people, uh, and myself included, talked about him as like a guy that kind of lets the game come to him or a little bit. But like the the there's a, a, a fine edge there between letting the game come to you and. Um, you know, be, being overly passive. And I, I think I would like to see him turn the turn the dial a little bit more towards being aggressive and, and trying to uh, make things happen on offense rather than kind of being more of a passive observer who, um, you know, makes things happen after the first three options on a, on a given possession didn't work out. Yeah. Now, Pat entered this game shooting 40% from three, but he's been really hesitant lately to let it fire up. I feel like uh, it's really in his head. And in general, he's had a pretty low volume of attempts, despite, you know, seeing the ball go through the hoop 17 times. I think he's made 17 threes uh, to start the season. So, Pat, just just let it go. Just shoot the ball. I really hope he's not one of these guys who struggles with his confidence, like Wendell, because you can see when he decides to attack off the catch uh like when he has it in his head that as soon as he gets the ball he's going he's just a freight train going to the rim like he's too big he's too fast he has nice touch so that's what i like to see him do a couple times late in this fourth quarter he also had a nice counter 
to get an easy bucket. So I think, you know, he's going to have to continue to figure out some moves in terms of ways to score around the basket. But, yeah, you need him to not hesitate to shoot when he has the open catch-and-shoot three or just, like, attack those closeouts, man. That's going to be a big part of your game. And you saw him have some success with it tonight in the fourth quarter. Yeah, just to, to tack on to that, Ricky, I I really hope he's not another one of these guys that gets in his head too much like Wendell um, and seemingly like Lowry because Lowry is uh, a lot of the times does drift into the same sort of uh, passivity. Um, but what I was going to say is it, uh, I think uh, Steph No uh, pointed this out in our group chat uh, a while back that like when they played in Charlotte, which I guess is uh, Patrick's hometown, he uh, he he started hesitating on his three pointers in that game, um, and it seems like ever since then he's been in his head slightly more with shooting threes, which is crazy because he was like going into that game. I think he was shooting like forty five percent on threes or something like that. Um, and the other way that that manifests is he travels a lot when he catches the ball and then stops to think about it and then tr- decides to drive on a closeout instead of just shooting the ball. Like, I feel like he gets called for that, um, that foot shuffle, uh, travel, uh, a ton. It happened tonight. And, yeah. No, I mean, it, it happened. I feel like it happens once every other game. Yeah. Um, and, uh, has, you know, kind of picked up in frequency as he's gotten more hesitant to just launch. Uh, and so I, yeah, I, I would just like to see him be a little bit more decisive and, uh, dial, turn the dial up on his aggressiveness, um, a, a little bit. Um, but I don't, think he was really the problem at all in this game um i i can get into what i think were the problems uh, but uh i'll, I'll uh, let you pick whatever topic you want to go to next I, that's, that's yeah, i was gonna I say, to say about patrick yeah i was gonna say like uh talk about problems and you mentioned lowry uh, in terms of like the, the weakness of we can go to lowry now he uh was terrible tonight nine points three of eight shooting zero four from three four rebounds Zero other, like, no stocks, That's no assists, no steals, no blocks. He did have no turnovers, and they had three fouls. I think those were all in the first half. So this is a co- complete dud of a game from him. And that was after we got all the stories about, is this a new Lowry marketing? And obviously, this has been a hot topic uh, for the Bulls after back-to-back 30-point games. And he's played, what, I think, as a 12 games now this year, 13 because he missed some time. But, he, I mean, he was up 20, 20 points per game before tonight, back-to-back 30-point games, like I mentioned, shooting over 50% overall. 40% from three, but I mean, even going back, even going back to that other Knicks, the, the first Knicks game, the Knicks shut him down in the fourth quarter. He had 30 points like midway through the third and then didn't score again. And then sh- absolutely shut out tonight. And I think we saw just one of the big issues with Larry Markin. If his three point shot is not falling, if he's not able to get free for and knocking down shots, he is just, just cannot impact the game in other ways. He was bad defensively Again, zero assists, no steals, no blocks, just, Doing nothing in the uh, in the score sheet, uh, only had four rebounds and not of any offensive rebounds. There was one possession I pointed out on Twitter where uh, Alfred Payton chucked up a terrible mid range shot. Should have been an easy rebound, and he got out hustled the ball by Mitchell Robinson and forced, and the ball ended up going back to the Knicks. Just like inexcusable effort, and I think it was kind of like that all night. The Knicks made a great adjustment from last game. Uh, they were switching on those screens when they were doing high pick and rolls. They were staying attached to him, not letting him get open looks. And he was never comfortable, and he never did anything. Did not make an assert. Was not assertive at all. He did have one nice dunk where he actually finished a power dunk, but she like never does. It's kind of funny. He actually did it in the game where he was terrible. But yeah, again, this is just the problem with Larry Marketing. Like we've we've seen this act before, which is why I think we all need. I know Kevin. I know you are 
basically out on him. I still think he could be a little better than what he's been the first three years, but I mean, this is just kind of the, the microcosm of his, his whole career. He has a few big games, but then a team focuses on him. They play hard defense on him, and he totally disappears and gives you nothing else. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, I was just going to say, I, I, so um, I, Mark uh, Karantzoulis, our friend uh, from Bulls HQ, um, he put out a tweet uh, that I thought was pretty instructive about this uh, in terms of, you know, everybody getting on, on board the Lowry train or whatever. Um, and it was comparing his 14-game uh, run in February of the, the year that he was with Boylan, where everybody was like, oh, is he making the leap? And then uh, it turned out, no, he just had a hot, you know, a hot run. And basically it was all driven by his shooting. Um, and then his stats like per 100 were virtually identical right down to like the shooting percentages and everything uh, to start this year. And it's that's all it is. It's a, like he's just on a hot shooting streak and um, he's done this before. And then as soon as the shooting goes away, it, it's like, what else does he give you? And I, I think that like. Tonight, in particular, like Ricky pointed out, that the Bulls actually didn't turn turn the ball over as much this uh, tonight as they they usually do, um, and they actually won the turnover battle with the with the Knicks uh, pretty handily, actually. But like they still got crushed on extra possessions uh, in the the possession battle because Lowry was getting his ass kicked by Mitchell Robinson all night on on the defensive glass, like. Uh, I think Mitchell Robinson had three offensive rebounds, but like the Knicks as a team had double the offensive rebounds that the that the Bulls did, and I think their um, offensive rebound percentage was like more than double what the Bulls was. And he's just soft, man. Like I, I you know, it's a cliche to call like European players soft, and like most of them aren't. But but this dude, he's soft, man. Like he he doesn't play like uh, Thibodeau used to always talk about playing with thrust and playing with force. And Lowry just does not play with any of that. And I thought he was a huge reason why the Bulls lost uh, tonight uh, because they just, even when they would, they would play, you know, decent enough defense um, to force a, force a miss. They just couldn't get the offensive rebound because he was not boxing anybody out. Um, And then like, I I think the other big problem tonight was, was Kobe, but that's like a a part of a broader trend. He's been, he's not very good. Yeah, I thought that this would have been a big spot for Markinen to like show that his scoring and his shooting has been sustainable. Totally agree with the discussion so far. I, I do think that Markinen's having the best year of his career. And I think that in a lot of ways, like he's still a young player. There is always going to be like growing pains in terms of adjusting to the league. And God knows, throughout his first three years, Markinen really made no noticeable improvements in any area. This season, he was finally shooting closer to his reputation. It's like, yeah, this is what this guy's supposed to be. We were calling him Finnish Ryan Anderson when he uh, <laughs> drafted here. But the problem is he's never actually shot at that level. So uh, just to see him finally, I think tonight he entered the game at like 41% from three. I was starting to get optimistic that like, okay, well, maybe he's not just an average shooter. Maybe he really is someone who is, you know, uh, clearly above average and borderline like really good shooter for that size. Uh, but these are the type of games where, like, he needs to respond. And I don't want to overreact too much because the Bulls just had a cold shooting night in a lot of ways today. But uh, on a night when the offense was really struggling, this would have been a good time for 
Lowry to be like, all right, let's just run the two-man game with Zach and I, and our two-man game is going to beat your two-man game. It's the Knicks. It's not, like, that much to ask, really. In a lot of these games, the Bulls are going to have a clear talent disadvantage in terms of their best players against uh, the oppositions. But, you know, tonight he was just manhandled by Randall. And, you know, this is an example of, like, a few years ago we were talking about, or even last year we were talking about, like, can Lowry be an all-star does he have that kind of upside so like you want to see what a fringe all-star in the east looks like it looks like julius randall and he whooped his ass today, straight up so a uh, really disappointing performance for lowry i'm not going to overreact to it too much because i do think in general this has been lowry's best year we have been waiting for lowry to become this type of player but at the end of the day he's still not that exceptional in in any way yeah, absolutely. I mean, you bring up Randall, and I mean, Randall had twenty-seven, six, and six, and two steals tonight. I mean, the passing—he's, I think, he's averaging like four or five. He's averaging six assists per game, so he's at twenty-two, eleven, and six for the season. Uh, I mean, wh- how long would it take Lowry to get six assists? I don't even know if he has six assists this season, to be honest. Like, he's <laughs> probably right around there. And I know that's like not his game at all, and there has never been his game. But I mean, it's just like not totally non-existent. And for the Bulls, who like, oh, let me see, home kind of okay. Lowry had four assists in the opener, but like since. Since he came back, I think Lowry has like eight total, seven total assists in like eight or nine games. So like he just can do nothing with really the ball in his hands himself. Like he's still set up. I think almost eighty percent of his baskets, I believe, are assisted. So like he's still like he. I think they've done some nice things. Billy's done some nice things with this offense, like getting him going on the move, taking advantage of some mismatches, and he is shooting really well inside the arc as well. Like even tonight, he was three or four on two pointers. So that his two point percentage continues to go up. He just couldn't hit a three, but. In general, like, especially if he's covered well, like, he can't, like, go against a good defense and, like, go get a bucket for himself. He's still got to be set up all the time. So, like, and then, like I said, the no play ma- no playmaking on either end of the court. Like you said, it's just, it's just major question. So then if, I mean, if we look, if we want to look at the big picture, then, like, if he's, if he does shoot, like, still decent the rest of the way, he's not going to shoot, like, 50% all year, I'm sure. Like, he's not going to be, like, a 50-40-90 guy. But, I mean, if he put averages, whatever, around these numbers all year, like, I mean, what, so, someone's probably going to give him twenty million, right? It only takes one team, and with more cap space out there, all so, like, it takes I, is I one asshole. Bad, like, I would feel bad losing him for nothing, but like, I mean, do you pay Lowry Market in twenty plus million dollars? And it's like, ugh, and you, you got to look at possibly trading him. I don't know. It's it, it's like a really weird situation. The timing's all goofy with him and all that kind of stuff. So it, it's it's a tough spot for the Bulls right now with him because it's just, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I was just gonna say, I, I think that like. I would not like I would rather pay Zach his max uh in two years than pay Lowry that kind of money because at least with Zach like you've seen improvements like every year that he's been in the league his playmaking has really like uh come along a lot this year like running in a in a real offense that like um gets him going downhill and you know gets movement away from the ball to provide him passing windows um, and his scoring is absolutely elite. Like, uh, like give me that guy and, you know, I'm willing to pay like actual market price for, for Zach. Uh, but I just, I don't think that's, you know, guys that score and don't really, uh, do much else are all that valuable, especially with Lowry because it's so reliant on his three point shooting, which has been frankly, like pretty unreliable. Like I know that we're saying that he's having his best season so far but like I just don't I won't believe that he's a 40% three-point shooter until he's done it for you know isn't something like (laughs) until he's like done it for like 200 attempts or something like that because he's 
we've seen these hot streaks before and like three point shooting is like the most uh, volatile statistic um, out there. And this is what his reputation has been. So like you want to buy into it, but it's also been three years where he's been like a league average three point shooter. And when you factor in the ease of his looks, he's been like below average. And it's just like, I don't like, I'm not paying that guy $20 million a year. And like, so I think they should trade him. Honestly, um, it sucks that he had a bad game here because like they need him to be to continue to be on a heater for as long as he's on on the team, and then try to get something for him. Because I just I I don't think you can commit to that guy. He hasn't gotten better in any of his weaknesses, and I don't buy that the shooting is real. Not yet, yeah, anyways. I, th- I think like you know even. If he gives you 40% three-point shooting or 41% three-point shooting, I mean, that should be, like, the minimum we're expecting from him, first of all, because that, like, is his whole game. And second of all, even if the shooting is real, he's still not that impactful. So I fully agree that it's hard to see him as a long-term piece on this team. Now, I do think there could be something to the idea of signing him to trade him later. Like, you don't just want to lose him for nothing. We've been arguing about Lowry Markkinen's league-wide value for yeah. three, four years at this point, so we have no idea what his value is because we've you know, never seen him be traded or actually be a serious part of rumors. Uh, but in terms of him as a long-term piece, I think his days were numbered as soon as they drafted Pat. Like Pat, to me, was always going to be more of a four. They have been playing him quite a bit uh, straight on the wing this year, but you know, I still think that Pat probably is his defensive strong suit is providing paint protection and, you know, supplemental rim protection. Lowry is just so weak defensively, and that's what kills you. Like, he has not improved on that end at all. I swear to God, every offseason we're doing muscle watch with Lowry Markinen while he's flexing his biceps. But how many times do you see that strength actually pay off on the court? It never happens. And he got, like I said, overpowered today by Randall, who, you know, is not a player who's particularly long. He got uh, totally outplayed by Mitchell, who is a freak physically and athletically, but uh, Mitchell Robinson. Uh, just just a frustrating performance out of him. And Kevin, how do you feel about the uh, Lonzo rumors? You know, a potential Lowry for Lonzo deal. Lonzo's got his own problems, uh, but I'm just curious where you stand on that right now. Do you think Lonzo would be a good fit? And, uh, uh, you know, what do you think about that? I think Lonzo would be a, a bit better fit um, for uh for the Bulls roster like as it's currently constructed um and you know I think Lonzo is I don't know I I don't I I wonder what the market will be for Lonzo too because I mean you run up against the same issue of a lot of teams having cap space um and not a lot of good players out there to throw it at um so like I wouldn't want to overpay for Lonzo either um because you know he's a he's a you know point guard who can't really dribble and <laughs> he uh would i mean and bulls already have one of those with kobe white um i mean lonzo's a, a good passer um and he's like connective tissue on offense and he's you know a, a pretty good defensive player um for his position uh but like i don't know i, I don't know um you know like i i guess i would do it just because i would rather have almost anything than, than have to worry about paying Larry Markkinen. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Lonzo's jumper is real shaky. Uh, and it's just hard to have, you know, he's basically like, 
Lonzo is like kind of like Ben Simmons if Ben Simmons was shorter and uh, couldn't dribble, uh, which is like a pretty tough player. Um, and obviously also not the defender that Simmons is just because he's not as big. Uh, so I don't know. It's, I mean, I guess I would do it just because, like I said, I, I really don't put a very high value on uh, what Lowry brings to the table, um, which is, you know, prim- basically just scoring and, and that's really it. I think the other thing that like people, people love scoring so much, but like, I think the thing that people really need to understand is that like, not all 20 points per game is created equally. Like if your 20 points per game does not, uh, is not being leveraged mm. to, um, to create opportunities and create easy looks for your teammates, um, it's really just not that impactful. Even if you individually are very efficient, like this was the thing for Zach up until like the last year or so was that like, he was a incredibly efficient individual scorer, but he was really bad on defense and he was not a playmaker. Like he didn't see the floor particularly well and Boylan's offense, um, or lack thereof didn't really like provide, uh, much opportunity for him to, to develop that skill set because it was very stagnant. But, um, but yeah, it's just not that impactful. Like you look at all the impact statistics, if you, you know, do little regressions on guys that score a lot of points, but don't provide playmaking, their offensive impact is pretty muted compared to the guys that bring the scoring and the the playmaking. And, uh, yeah. And it's just also really tough to have a guy like Lowry that doesn't, uh, that plays a big man spot and doesn't defend like at all. Yeah. I mean, if you look, even look, I'm, I'm pulling up the on-off numbers right now, and obviously those can be wonky a bit, but Lowry's played 400-some minutes so far in his 13 games. Bulls have an offensive rating of 105 with him. Again, some of that can be contextual with teammates and all that, but still, what, like, for, like, as efficient as he has been scoring for the Bulls to be that bad as a team when he's on the court, like, that, I think that kind of speaks to what you're saying, that, like, even if he's, like, hitting shots and doing all that, like, he's not raising the level of the entire team, like, at all. And, and obviously there's the defensive problem. So it's a problem. That's an issue for sure. So I, now I guess in this case, then like it, say it did come down, like if you did trade Lowry for Lonzo, I mean, I guess if you're like looking at that, if that's on the table. You can basically swap them. Like, I guess would if it, like in a vacuum, like who are you taking? Like, if they were, the, I guess if they were, like the same amount of money, like I'm curious what offers like either will get if, if they do it once they hit shooting free agency, like would you take like just straight up Lonzo over Lowry at this point? Probably maybe, I guess, I don't know. Cause Lonzo was really interesting. Like, I don't know. That situation in New Orleans has been super weird this year. They've been really disappointing. I feel like the fit there and like they've slowed the game down. I know their pace is much lower than it was last season under uh, Gentry, and they've been playing a lot slower. And like that is just not Lonzo's game, like the half court game. Like I'm curious, like if he came to the Bulls, like playing off Zach, the Bulls have been playing a bit more up tempo. Like I wonder if you that would get him in rhythm more. Maybe get maybe get him a few more transition opportunities. I'm curious if maybe that would be a better fit. And we and we know the Bulls need defense, a perimeter defense. And we we've talked about it at the top that Zach and Kobe together is brutal. If you put Zach and Lonzo together, like maybe that would be like just a better overall fit for the for the team moving forward. I'm not. I would certainly consider it. Uh, I'm not totally sure. Like I said, I wouldn't feel great about paying either of them what they're probably going to get. But I don't know. What do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, I, I fully agree with you right there. One thing with Lonzo is that he's battled a lingering knee issue the entire season. So I'm curious if that's the reason why he hasn't been able to shoot this year. Last year, he seemed to make 
pretty yep. significant improvements as an outside shooter. His three-point rate is still really high, and it's because, like Kevin said, he basically puts no pressure on the rim as someone who can like drive and collapse a defense. And that's why, in a lot of ways, Lonzo's passing is only so valuable because he can't really bend the defense to create advantage situations for his teammates. Instead, he's more of like a ball mover, and he's a guy who will get a lot of hockey assists, and he's a guy who can you know just help the offense achieve more flow. There's value to that, but like what the Bulls actually need is a guy at the controls offensively yeah, for sure. to sort of take some of that burden off Zach. Now, Zach has been better than at any point in his career this year, I think, at running the offense, at, you know, seeing the full floor in terms of where his teammates are and reading the help. And, you know, having someone like Thad Young as a safety valve really takes a lot of pressure off him. I thought Stefan No wrote a great thing a couple days ago on Thad, sort of comparing his playmaking on the four-on-three when they trapped the ball handler after a pick-and-roll to Draymond Green. Uh, So, you know, just giving Zach, like, another guy like that has been super, super helpful. In a lot of ways, Thad has basically become the point guard for this team. I mean, it's either Thad creating the shots or Zach creating the shots. But at the end of the day, you need someone who can get those looks to you consistently from the perimeter. Uh in crunch time situations and Zach we've seen it throughout his career even throughout this season when he has been better uh he just sort of melts down in crunch time he had another bad three-point possession or three-point attempt I should say today in crunch time uh certainly like Zach was one of the only guys who could actually score tonight he is a really efficient scorer in general so it's not like one bad shot attempt uh was the reason the Bulls lost the game but uh, in general, you know, the Bulls' biggest problem is just that lack of primary playmaker, primary initiator. And while Zach has taken strides in that, uh, you know, I think he's still more of a secondary. Yeah. yeah. Kevin, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, I, I totally agree with what Ricky said. Um, also agree with the plug for, for Stefan's piece. It was really good. Uh, Stefan also linked to... Um, a really good video from uh, Adam Spinella on YouTube that like broke down the the Bulls playbook essentially and showed like uh, some of the sets that they use the most and how they uh, how Billy Donovan has been basically trying to get uh, their ball handlers um, downhill. I was gonna and related to that and related to the Lonzo question, I was gonna say like if they did trade for Lonzo, I think it might be a little tough in the in the short term um, because like so much of what the the Bulls are doing right now is predicated on, um, you know, got, having a lot of guys that uh, can get downhill um, when they have the ball in their hands. And like, they're not like all great at it, but like they can at least uh, dribble, pass and shoot for the most part. Um, and not maybe the passing is in the passing, not being where it, is, it needs to be. And some of the dribbling hasn't been as clean as it needs to be. Uh, but like Lonzo not being able to dribble, I think would be kind of a tough fit in a scheme that is like basically uh, the the primary offensive action is um, uh, a, a high pick and roll um, with some disguising of it uh, with a spread floor, uh, and, and they run it with you know Pat runs the pick the the as the ball handler sometimes. Uh, Zach and Kobe obviously both run it a lot, but. Um, I think that that's another reason why maybe the Lonzo thing is kind of a pipe dream, just because I think that it, you know, from the things that Karnaschovas has said, it seems like he wants guys that can dribble, pass, and shoot, and like cool, like so does every GM. But I don't know, like 
Lonzo can really only do one of those things and he's great at it. He's a really good passer, but um, he's, you know, his shot has, he's had one good season where he shot well. Uh, maybe the knee injury is causing him to regress on his shooting and maybe it'll come back once he gets healthy. Uh, but, you know, it's tough to go on that. And yeah, he just really can't dribble at all. Uh, you know what I was thinking? Like we've spent too much time talking about Lonzo because... Uh, he's not on the Bulls. That is like sort of a pipe dream. But I'm curious if anyone else has any other suggestions for potential guard candidates the Bulls can look at. Uh, I think, you know, Lowry in a sign and trade this offseason would be ideal. I'm thinking about other restricted free agents who were signed and trade guys uh, going from one team to another. And a move that I didn't really – I wasn't campaigning for it at the time. But, man, in hindsight, it would have been a brilliant deal would have been to get Malcolm Brogdon. And Brogdon was someone who in Milwaukee was playing totally off the ball. He was a 50-40-90 shooter basically spotting up off Giannis's drives to the basket. Goes to the Pacers in the sign-and-trade, and he's been like just a classic floor general for them. Totally changed his role. He's basically an all-star level performer. I believe he got four years, $80 million, which is the same contract that got. That was an offseason when the Bulls had a bunch of money. They ended up signing Thad and Sato, and you know that's worked out to varying degrees. At least Thad's been really good this year. But, uh, you know, is there anyone else out there who could maybe – you know, ha, in, you know they could benefit from a role change the way that Brogdon did, uh, or is there just like anyone besides for Lonzo, who's obviously been in trade rumors lately, that we think could be a potential, potentially good guard candidate to look for in a Lowry deal? In a Lowry deal, or just in general? Uh, either in general. Uh, we got Mike Conley listed here, but the Jazz have been awesome, and he's been incredible. Yeah, he, he's not getting dealt. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he's definitely not going anywhere this year. Like, I think he's going to be a free agent, but uh, I don't know. Like, we got like a Kemba. Yeah, so they looked into Kemba in the offseason, but I doubt it. Yeah, Lowry's going to be a free agent, but I don't know if he's Kemba, going to be there. Kemba is. I just want to chime in on the Kemba thing. Kemba is washed. Uh, his his <laughs> knee is is messed up, and he. I don't think you know. But feel free to crop this out and and make me look stupid on Twitter for it later. But like. He's a thirty. He's a little guard. He's thirty years old. He's a guy that relies on his speed, and he just had a knee injury, and he hasn't really looked the same since. I, I think he's washed. Do we want to go after Rubio? I mean, Rubio's numbers have been atrocious this year, averaging under six points a game. Uh, obviously, Minnesota's horrible. They're arguably the worst team in the league. So, you know, maybe you could get a free look at Rubio. Yeah, Chris just mentioned here, Dinwiddie. I've I know people have talked about like, the Thad Young to the Nets in Woody and like maybe some draft picks. Like I, I would that wouldn't be a bad idea. Maybe I and mean, the Nets obviously need some depth. They need some toughness, some defense, a big an actual big man who can do anything. Uh Thad would probably be great there, especially playing with all those other studs and uh like I'm I'm curious what they I am Dinwiddie's obviously like an odd man out there. Uh yeah, he mentioned he's a player option, but and then coming off this injury, like who knows? But Maybe a couple second round picks along with Dinwiddie. Those contracts do match up. Maybe if he opts out and you re-sign him and he comes back from, like obviously the ACL injury is not as bad as it used to be back in the day. And maybe he comes back and it's and he's all good. And like he's not the best. I know he takes some bad shit, some tough shots, but like he's still pretty damn good. Would probably and would be the best point guard on the roster. So and that's at least interesting to me because the Nets could certainly use a guy like Thad Young. Yeah, I, I just think it's so tough because like. 
like somebody like Dinwiddie is he's like a good player, but like he's he's you know not really a uh, a great floor general in the way that like Brogdon has become. He's more yeah. of like a score first guy, yeah. and like the the guys like Brogdon. Um, they're just really hard to find, and then once a team finds them, like they're not giving them up generally, <laughs> because like really efficient guys that uh, are willing to be role flexible and do whatever you whatever you need, um, and are young. Like it, it still boggles my mind that the the Bucks just kind of let him go <laughs> for like a, uh, a signing trade for like a couple of picks because he was like obviously very good and there was really no reason that they had to do it other than to save money for their owners. And, you know, we know about that in Chicago, but, uh, it's, uh, I mean, that's the name of the podcast, right? Uh, but yeah, it's just, those guys are really, really hard to find. And I also just don't think that like a Dinwiddie level player is really that much of an improvement over what the bulls have. Like it's an improvement, but I, I don't know. It, it's, uh, I mean, not like a legit, like big time long term answer. I mean, I, I think at this point, I don't know if there is that answer unless they trade Bradley Beal. Yeah, <laughs> I, know, <laughs> I know we have talked about we've we've talked about that in our chat. Yeah, the, there you go. The Beal, like, which I mean, why not? Like making. A, I mean, I know the Wizards right now. Like Beal doesn't want to get traded. The Wizards are looking a little better lately. They beat the Heat tonight. Who the Heat are kind of a hot mess right now, but they've played a little better lately. Beal doesn't want to go anywhere. Uh, so, I mean, but still, like, I, I, they're not going, the Wizards are not going anywhere. Like, they're, no, they're, they stink. They're, they're hopeless. They're, they're going to be, I don't know how they'll improve to contender level with Beal there over the next year or two. Like, you have to think a trade's coming at some point. You just have to imagine. So, like, why not throw together a big offer? The Bulls have, like, all their draft picks. They, they, if they've done anything well, it's, like, not, like, throw their picks away for, like, dumb, dumb shit. So, like, at least they ha- they have a ton of picks they could throw in trades. I mean, you have Kobe White you could throw in a trade. You have Lowry you could throw into a trade. Like, throw together a, a nice offer for Bradley Beal. Why not? Yeah, they might, need to, they might need to put Kobe on ice, though, if they want to trade him for anything <laughs> valuable. Because true. he's been playing, like, absolute trash lately. Yeah, absolutely true. Um we here's here's a question uh, from Shane. What do we want to happen with the Fets at the deadline? I and I'd meant to get to this, so that's perfect. So like we've talked about we've talked about Thad and how great he's been. He's been it's insane how good Thad Young has been. They've completely changed his role from he was basically just a floor, floor spacer under Borland. It's un, unreal like how misused he was. And now he's basically like point forward style like Draymond. He's been running the middle of the floor. They get him in the middle and he's whipping passes to shooters all over the court. I mean, and his shooting percentage has been super high. That little floater he's got is like unstoppable. It's like automatic. He's, he's shooting almost 60% this season after his 9 of 11 performance tonight. So like his value has got to be high. I mean, you got to be able to get You'd think he's, I saw someone tweet today that he might be like the best guy available at the deadline. So, I mean, someone will hopefully be able to throw out a first round pick. I know I mentioned the Nets thing as well, but I mean, what I, you have to think, especially the Bulls, like they're going to, I think they're going to be in the mix for the playing tournament. I, you look at the other teams around them, the Knicks, the Cavs, the Hornets. Uh, we'll see if the Wizards get back into it, into it. I think the Raptors will come up. We'll see about the Heat, but I think the Bulls will be in that mix. But I think like you have to obviously also think long term here. Like you can't like, just like hold on to your vets just for like an ill-fated play and tournament run to get washed in the first round. Like if you can get a first round pick for Thad Young, you probably got to do it. So I guess I'm sure you guys agree with me that the Bulls, and we've talked about this before, the Bulls should still be in asset acquisition mode. Like that means trading Thad. That means trading Otto Porter, who without today's Otto Porter's back injury is like 
flaring up every other game. He's the oldest 27-year-old I've ever seen in my life. Uh, so I guess your guys' thoughts on Thad Young, the trade deadline, what they should do with the Vets. Because obviously, we, as we've seen, the Bulls, like those guys, Thad, Garrett Temple, the Vets, they've kind of propped up the Young Corps because the Young Corps has been bad as a group together. When the Bulls trade Thad, assuming it happens, they're going to tank down the standing so fast, man. And uh, tank is a bad word here because I don't think it'll be from lack of effort. It's going to be from lack of execution. That is really the glue for this team on both ends of the floor. And, uh, you know, if he is the best available player at the trade deadline, I would love to see other teams get in a bidding war for him because I do think that, you know, he guards Giannis well if you're a team like the Nets. Uh, I don't know if the Nets have any picks left that they can actually trade. I don't think they do. But, you know, if you're an Eastern Conference team that, like, wants to go through Milwaukee, who better to go after than Thad Young? So, yeah, I would absolutely trade him. Then the Bulls will lose some games. They'll still have the benefit of, like, you know, the the start to the season was still interesting. And with the way the lottery is done now, you don't need to be towards the very bottom of the league to jump up in the lottery standing. So I would absolutely trade that. I agree that I think that Lowry should also be on the table. Otto, for sure, trade him if you can find anyone to take him. Uh, I I think that Otto can still help a good team, too. So hopefully there's some sort of tangible value coming back there. But at this point, like, why would you want Otto to be resigned in the offseason? While he is super vital to the Bulls being uh, more of a respectable team on the floor. He's just such an unreliable player at this point. I totally agree with everything you said, Jason, about him being the oldest 27-year-old ever. So, uh, yeah, I think I think you got to move him for multiple reasons. It's a good move. And also, from Thad's perspective, as someone who is a Thad Young fan, I want to see him playing in games with stakes, you know, yeah. playing against veterans, not being surrounded by 19- and 20-year-olds. And uh, it's going to be cool to see Thad go to a good team if and when it happens. Yeah, I, I just jump it in to say that I, I am in a full agreement that, you know, I it's been nice to see the vets prop up the Bulls and get to see, like, um, somewhat uh, competent uh, play, at least on the offensive side. I, the defense is uh, a total mess, but, you know, the vets can't do everything. Um, and... Uh, I think some of that's also scheme based, but I don't want to get into that right now. But uh, just to say that I think that, yeah, you, you move the vets for all the reasons that you guys said, like Thad deserves to play in games that matter um, and like that actually have stakes. And I think he's been, you know, the good soldier in Chicago. I think, you know, you, you earn some goodwill around the league by moving him to a, to a contender. I think the one, the only challenge with moving the vets and potentially Lowry for assets is that like, all of these teams that would like potentially trade for guys have um, already basically like burnt through all their, their asset base, right? Like most of the contenders that would be kind of in the, the fad sweepstakes um, are, you know, pretty asset poor because they've, I think, uh, Boston. Course, oh, the Boston. Yeah, Boston is kind of like they're the they're the one that that's kind of out there, I think, because they have the the traded player exception, so they could just take Thad for no salary um, to send back, and they could uh, they could they I think they actually still have picks because Danny Ainge hasn't like uh, he's almost made a million deals, but has yeah, but hasn't actually uh, traded them. So I, that's the that's the destination, but like that's for Thad. I don't know what where you would. Um, 
where you would potentially send Otto or Lowry. Maybe Lowry you send to one of these crappy teams that has cap space for next year and just like let them get like the inside track on um, trying to sign him. Like yeah. I don't know, maybe maybe the the Knicks are interested or the or the Cavs. Um, I don't know. They have like a million centers, but uh, most of them are good defensively, so they might be nice pairings with Lowry. I don't know. Will, you requested the talk. Let's get you in here. Your thoughts. What's up, guys? I, just, this, I wanted to make my uh, my second straight appearance on cash. I think that's a record. Oh, yeah. So I, deserve, I deserve a trophy or something. But um, well, we were just talking about, like, you know, floor general and, and who the Bulls can go after point guard-wise. Uh, and Thad, I think, is providing a lot of that for the Bulls right now. But I thought it would be a good segue into Ricky's mock draft. Um and Sharif Cooper, who I think the Bulls should definitely look at if he falls to them, um, versus like the value of trading that pick. So I, I was curious to hear Ricky your thoughts about. Um, obviously, you had them drafting Moody, um, Sharif Cooper pretty high, which um, you know I think a lot of a lot of people are pretty turned off by the shooting numbers. So I uh, wanted to hear your thoughts about all that. Yeah, I think part of me believes that if you're gonna keep Zach. It would probably be in your best interest, like sign Zach to another contract. I think it's in your best interest to try to get a veteran point guard because it's just going to be tough, even if like Sharif Cooper's is very good, which I think it possibly is. Uh, he's still, you know, going to be a twenty-year-old point guard. So that adjustment to the league, I think, takes a while. If he were available, I would I would think long and hard about him. Uh, I think that he has a really unique ability to create shots for other players. I think he is effortless in terms of getting to his spots on the floor. And he just has like a, you know, a special knack for getting guys open. And then on top of that, he's able to get his own scoring by getting to the free throw line. His free throw rate is absolutely out of control this year. His assist rate, the highest since they started keeping data in like 2009, 2010. So his numbers look very good. Obviously, he's very small. He's going to be a one-position defender, and even that feels generous to to call him that in the NBA. Uh, he's about 6'1", 220. He's not a especially explosive athlete around the basket. He's a below-the-rim player for sure, but what he's good at is bending the defense to his will in finding, uh, you know, lanes for open passes. And in his high school career, Sharif had a monster reputation as a scorer. His passing was something of a question mark, I think, uh, coming into his debut with Auburn this season once he got eligible to play. And his passing has just been a total revelation this far, this, uh, this early into the season. So I think, you know, the shooting is... Highly questionable. I believe I had him at seventh in that mock draft, but I'll say like I feel like the top five are the top five, and then in just to be clear, that would be Cade Cunningham, Evan Mobley, Jalen Suggs, and then the two G League Ignite guys, Jalen Green, Jonathan Kaminga. After that, I feel like it's very fluid, uh, six through fourteen. So uh, it is possible that you know Sharif could still be there if the Bulls are picking in the double digits. And yeah, I would think long and hard about taking him because he has an ability to get guys open and get them the ball. And the bulls don't have anyone like that right now. With that being said, I do think it's probably in the bulls best long-term interest to try to acquire a veteran point guard, uh, you know, and then maybe draft a wing. If you're going to keep Zach. 
Yeah, I, th- I think that makes sense. I just feel like, you know, when I watch, and I've watched, like, you know, not a ton of his tape so far, but, like, just the passing is really special, and I think we can all agree that's something that the Bulls absolutely need if they're going to to go anywhere, frankly. Um, but, yeah, I just kind of want, like, you know, Jason and I were talking about this the other day, is, like, how do you how do you find that guy? If it's not through if it's just like waiting around year after year to get that guy in the draft, or maybe you like, you know, package picks and Kobe and Lowry for Beal and then see if you can attract a free agent. It's just like it's a curious time. Um and, and we're I'm seeing some comments in the um discussion about like Felicio's contrast contract and things like that. Like that is thirteen, uh Sadaransky is at ten um Felicio is at seven like these are all very tradable contracts and so um I think we're, I mean we're obviously going to see something soon um and it'll I think that'll determine whether they go for that point guard or not like you're kind of saying but you know what though well like when it comes to Sharif Cooper I mean why not you know what I mean like that's yeah that's kind of because it's well like roll that's never dog. a bad thing to have yeah uh I think that you know there are a lot of questions about him but the guy's a magician, and I wrote in the mock that he reminds me of Trey Young without the shooting ability, and I think that, you know, people there, – there's obvious differences, but, like, you know, the way that Trey has learned how to draw fouls this year, Sharif also has a special knack for drawing fouls. Trey's just such a good live dribble passer. Sharif has that too, and I think that Sharif has really good scoring instincts, even though teams are going to go way under on the pick and roll on him early in his career. Darren you know, you have to invest in strength training and uh, skill development coaches to try to, you know, get them to shoot. But, yeah, Sharif is a really interesting player. And, yeah, I guess, like, in my head I was thinking that a wing would be best for them. But you need the engine of the offense. They don't have it. Sharif has more potential to be that guy than anyone outside of Cade Cunningham. And because he's so small and he can't shoot, he might actually slip to where you are. So, yeah, right. I I think we so you, have to talk myself into it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's obviously like, you know, the option is definitely there, but you, not to spoil the article, everybody should definitely go read that, but you had him taking Moses Moody to uh, tell me about him a little bit. Cause I haven't watched some film. Yeah. Moody's interesting. So Moody played at Mount, Mount Verde in high school with Cade Cunningham. They were the starting backcourt together. Deron, Deron Sharp, the center on North Carolina, was also on that team. It was like, I wrote an article on them last year calling it the most talented high school team ever. They were totally loaded. I thought that Moody was a perfect backcourt complement to Cade because he's a 6'6 wing, 7'1 wingspan. He's not like a super bursty athlete. He's more of a guy who's going to get his points on catch and shoots, I think he's definitely going to have to be a very good shooter in the league to return top 10 value. I think uh, it's possible that he's, he is a very good shooter, though. He put up good numbers at the high school level. So far this year, I think he's been around 36%. But, you know, obviously, like, the jump from being capable to elite shooting, uh, it's tough to do. And you got to bet on someone to do it. He seems like a decent bet to me. So, yeah, he's not a freaky athlete. I think he's more long and smooth than he is like a super explosive guy who's going to go above the rim and uh you know draw a lot of contact but uh i think you know he gives you the ability to hit catch and shoot threes i think he gives you the ability to put the ball on the floor for one or two dribble pull-ups uh he just has some pretty crafty scoring tricks around the basket 
And then defensively, he's really long. I mean, 6'6 wing with a 7'1 wingspan. He isn't a power athlete by any means in terms of like being uh, like a strong guy who's going to play with a lot of force. But, uh, you know, I think his length is definitely beneficial. And I don't really know how high his ceiling is. I think it is mostly going to be dependent on how good of a shooter he turns into. But if the Bulls have the 11th pick in this draft and someone like that is on the table, I think. You know, just having that length and that ability to play off the ball, maybe he could be like a poor man's Michael Bridges uh, with maybe a little bit more dribble pull-up game. So uh, I don't know if he'll be quite that good defensively, but that's sort of the vision with him, I think, uh, is an off-ball 3-and-D wing. And those guys are really valuable. Like, certainly right now, we would all take Michael over Carter, right? I mean, I still, I'm not totally out on Carter at all. But Michael's proven himself to be a better player in the league than Wendell has thus far. And just, like, the thought of having a super long wing who knocks down a bunch of threes and spaces the floor for you, like, that's really valuable. Every team needs that. Now, those guys are less valuable when you don't have the engine of the offense. <laughs> and the Bulls still don't have the engine of the offense. But, uh, yeah, I, Moody's been on my radar because I just saw him playing with Cade uh, on Montverde. And... He's had a pretty good year this year. I mean, he's he's had some very good games and some games where he sort of disappeared. But I think he's got the physical tools. I wish he was more of a power athlete uh, the way Pat is. He's not. But that's sort of my brief synopsis on him. I think he's definitely a guy who they would have to think about if he's on the board when they pick. Ricky, this is from Jordan in the comments here. Thoughts on Jaden Springer? I believe he's from Tennessee. Yeah, really like Jaden Springer. So Jaden Springer's another guy who I've been on since high school. He played at another Florida-based prep powerhouse, IMG Academy, which is where they actually had the WNBA bubble last year. Uh, you know, just one of these uh, high schools that plays a national schedule. He's at Tennessee right now. Uh, Jaden Springer's a high school player, had a monster rep as a scorer, as a competitor. He led IMG, I think as a junior, he went on a huge tear in the playoffs of like, the the Geico national mythical national championship. So he's been on my radar for a while. Uh, in terms of how he's playing this year at Tennessee, Tennessee is super elite defensively. I think they're number two in the country. Springer is a big part of that. He has always been a lockdown on ball defender with really good instinct. You'll see the way he like digs into the paint and still recovers out to the shooter uh, at the arc. I think is really impressive. Offensively, he's kind of a guy who's not a pure point. He's sort of like uh, you probably want to play him next to a more natural distributor. So he's sort of like one of these guys that's like a combo on off ball guy. Uh, But I think what makes him intriguing is that he's just a bulldozer going to the rim for a six, four guard. He's strong as hell, and he's able to create separation with spin moves and by absorbing body contact and getting pretty good looks at the rim. Uh, He's been hitting his threes early in the season, but I think that that's going to be a question mark for him. Like, can he actually be a volume three-point shooter? I like his uh, dribble pull-up game a little bit, even though uh, Tennessee doesn't play with a ton of spacing, so you haven't gotten to see him get into a ton of flow this year. It's been sort of hard to evaluate his offense because Tennessee's offense in general is so poor. Uh, but I like Jaden Springer. ESPN had him in the late 30s of their mock. I had him in the top 10 of mine. Uh, in terms of my preseason evaluation of Springer, I think I had him six, and I moved him to eight uh, when I did this mock today after you know a couple months of the college basketball season. So 
I don't think that Springer is anywhere in Sharif Cooper's range in terms of being a natural playmaker, but I think he can give you scoring, go into the basket. And I think that that can have some gravity and he's a good enough passer to make the right read when the defense collapses. I love his defense. He's just a competitor. He's also super young. He's uh, the youngest player in this draft pretty much. So, you know, the Bulls went with that route last year when they took Pat, who after the Thunder sent down Poku today, Pat is the youngest player in the league right now uh, because Poku's going to the G League, I believe. So, uh, you know, if they were to take Springer, it would be following that path of just taking the youngest guy, betting on the physical tools. I think he has the right mindset. I think he has a lot of things going for him as a guard, but certainly he's not the magician that Cooper is with the ball. Thank you for that. I rely so heavily on you and Brian for the uh, the draft <laughs> updates. But I, so I, you said something that was interesting to me uh, with regards to Cooper, which was, like, if you want to keep Zach, you have to go find a veteran point guard because it's going to take a while to, like, learn the game as a 20-year-old point guard and the timeline kind of doesn't match up. So, like, for me, I think it's just, like, a value play. Like, does it make more sense? I think I said this with Jason the other day, but does it make more sense to trade Zach or keep him based on whatever return you get or don't get? Like, just but in terms of, like, what you guys – either think or want they should do what what do you think in terms of trading zach and going young or like maybe something along the lines of the beal idea where you're like getting another guy who's close to or in his prime and trying to pair him with zach to like kind of get towards respectability so yeah man it's all about the value right like i think there's definitely a scenario where you know we've been debating what zach and lowry's trade value is for years but it's like we still don't really know. So if you could get a fat package of picks and pick swaps for Zach Levine, that's typically what stars go for now. I don't think that the Bulls necessarily want to do that and burn it all the way to the ground. I don't know if ownership's going to want to do that. Uh, I know that Reinsdorf agreed to trade Jimmy Butler, but I think like they probably like Zach because it's so stupid. But like I honestly believe the front office like thought Butler was a diva and they thought he had an attitude problem, whereas Zach's attitude is very much like I'm a super hard worker. I'm going to grind. Uh, I'm going to work really hard in the offseason. So I would bet they don't want to trade Zach from a management perspective. I have no insight onto that. That's just me speculating. Uh, personally, I would totally flip him if you can get great value for him in terms of a package of picks and pick swaps to be able to use his ammunition to rebuild the team. Uh, in terms of, you know, what I said about like wanting to pair Zach with a veteran point guard, like the more I think about it too, though, like you can always re-sign Zach and then trade him down the line. Uh, you're still going to need a player better than Zach, and you're still going to need uh, a one creator next to him anyway. So, uh, yeah, you know, you probably don't want to be building your team with Zach Levine in mind, even if you plan on re-signing him, because I think that you can always move him, and the Bulls have to be in talent ac- acquisition mode now. Like, the Bulls' biggest problem is that they don't have enough high-end talent and so that should be the main focus of the team is just like trying to acquire more avenues towards getting a high end talent. Yeah. And we talked about this on our last pod with Will and we've obviously talked about this before. Like it was, I think we talked about it too, Ricky, just like how it's kind of, it is kind of like the Jimmy situation again, where it's like, 
okay, so if you did trade Zach, like you're just kind of back to where you were. Obviously, you still need like another really good player, and then but then you need another really good player. So like, I also I'm I've been leaning more towards the the I'm totally fine like giving him a max or near max deal, and then if you do have to trade him, like he'll be in his prime, like he's a, he'd be a tradable deal. So like I I wouldn't really worry about like overpaying Zach a bit. Uh, was what maybe you do maybe you are able to trade for somebody else, and then maybe uh you go. I know we've joked about like in 2023 going after Nikola Jokic and going after that. I mean, I know that's like a pipe dream kind of stuff, but like if you keep Zach and maybe you make a big trade, then you have a couple stars, maybe you get somebody else, who knows? But if it doesn't work out, then you could just trade it for something else. You're trading him in whatever, he's 27 or 28. I think you could still get something really pretty good for him. So like, I don't think that'd be in a huge, like in a real bad spot if they overpaid Zach and paid him like 35 million a year. Obviously we sh- they should look to, to make a move, especially if they're just kind of, the Bulls are just kind of meandering around kind of where they're now. Like, if they can get a huge trade package, like, why not? We talked about, uh, like, the, the looking at the, the Warriors. Like, if they put the, the Timberwolves pick on the table. Uh, my guy Chris here asked, like, what's the lowest return you'd accept for Zach? So, I, Ricky, I see you said you had to hop off. So, let's, so let's end up basically wrap up this conversation with this question. Like, what is the lowest you would like you'd accept in a trade for Zach, like, before this deadline? Yeah, let's let's all go around the horn with this because it's a great question. I don't really know. Like, what I would want is a package of picks and pick swaps. You know, there's been some rumors that Thibodeau really likes Zach, and we know that Thibodeau likes to target his former players for sure. And Zach did play a year under Thibodeau in Minnesota. So the Knicks have two first-rounders this year. If they offered both of them to you for Zach, and they're both like, you know, let's say they're in the 11 to 14 range, but you get two of them. Would you do that? Or the eight to 14 range or something? Uh, I don't know. Like I would want one of those picks, a pick next year and a pick swap in the future. Like two picks and a pick swap would probably be the lowest package I would want. And a team like the Knicks would be great. I'd love to, uh, you know, fade, (laughs) fade the Knicks future. So, you know, something like that would be good to me, but I'm curious what Kevin and Will and Jason think on this too. Kevin, you can go next on this one. Yeah, I mean, I think something like what Ricky just said, it makes the most sense. Like, I I would want a lot for Zach, honestly, because uh, I mentioned it earlier, but he's he's, um, a guy that he really does get better every single year. Um, And, like, he came into the league a really rough player because he was 19. He was a project. um, And really, he just had, like, all this – Uh, insane skill talent but didn't really know how to play basketball and like he's turned himself into like a legitimate offensive star Um, the defense is still uh, you know not the greatest but even that I think he's improved a lot on this year like I don't think Zach is really the problem with the defense this year Um, I think it's Lowry and Kobe primarily Um, they play the starters minutes and I think you could get away and live with Zach playing defense the way that he does, but to pair him with Kobe and, and Lowry together just makes that that um, unit completely untenable, especially when with Wendell out because Gafford doesn't uh, rebound very well and ch- chases blocks like crazy. So they, they just have a lot of guys that don't really know how to play defense. I'm, I'm getting on a tangent. I, I think I would want a lot for Zach. I would rather keep him uh, unless I got – you know, a really, really big offer. I, I think that uh, depending on where those uh, picks for the Knicks land, um, you know, I, I, I might be interested in that. Um, but like, 
the thing is, is we just did this, this whole thing. And Zach is not what Jimmy Butler was uh, when we traded him. But he, Jimmy was like a top 10 player uh, in the league and was just entering his prime. The Bulls decided they didn't want to pay for his prime, even though he was under contract for two more years. And they, you know, sent him away. And we've just been watching garbage basketball ever since. And we, we have a guy, I think Zach, I would put Zach comfortably in the top 30 in the league now. And I, I don't really want to watch garbage basketball for another five years. Um, and so unless there's like a real good plan to take those picks and, and turn them into a, a team that is good, like both fun to watch and good, uh, like pretty immediately, I, I would really rather hold on to Zach and try to put guys around him rather than uh, blowing it all up again. Yeah, I agree with that, especially because there's just too much variance in the lottery now. Like the, it, it's not a plan to just like be super bad and expect to get the first pick. Like, I, I just don't think that's really a viable plan. And the Bulls, like Kevin said, have pissed away too many years. So yeah, uh, I'm getting old, man. I, yeah. I'm 35, or I'll be 35 this year. Like I, I don't want to watch another five years of terrible basketball until I'm 40. Like no, no, thank you. Will, uh, you know, I don't, I don't mean to project here. So if I'm wrong. Uh, please correct me, but I feel like you might be slightly more on the trade be- trade Zach bandwagon uh, than than Kevin is. So I'm curious what I go back and forth. Um, you know, I think like the difference between the Zach and Jimmy situation. And by the way, like I'm sure you guys have said this before. I'm stealing from somebody, but like the Bulls could have just paid Jimmy what they're going to pay Zach now, and right. like not been bad for five years. So I, I get the, the urgency to do that. Um, I think the key here is that, like, there is a little bit of urgency with the, like, direction of the team. Because if you are going to trade Zach, you've also probably got to, like, get rid of Thad and Sato and Otto and these guys, too. Um, and, like, the longer on the, – the, the more time you have left on Zach's contract, where he is only making 19 as opposed to 35, the more value you're going to get for him. Um, so I think there is like, that probably puts a little bit more leverage in whoever's looking to trade him in the hands of whoever's looking to trade him. Um, I am fine with paying Zach. I really am. I think, um, he, he'll be worth it. I think that will be like a, a tradable deal. Um, so yeah, to me, it just like, it really comes down to value. Uh, I don't really see like with the exception of the like Jokic pipe dream scenario, uh, a, a way for them to get into like the top five in the East, um, given what they have right now, unless like Kobe or Wendell or Pat, like become near stars. So I guess I'd be like more inclined to try to trade him. Um, but like definitely not in any super rush. Like I, I agree with Kevin that like the, the deal has to be there. And I think, the deal has been there for a lot of stars, except for that a lot of these contenders have already used all their picks to get the guys that make them contenders, right? So um, just it's just going to come down to value. But I think I'm probably a little bit more open to it than, than Kevin, but um, definitely not looking to rush it. Yeah, you probably need at least a couple picks, I guess, depending on how high they are. Maybe like a decent young player. In the, like I, I am curious, like what I feel like Bulls fans would probably be pretty pissed if they traded Zach for like basically just picks and like no even like interesting player like, if, like to even help like right now a little bit like I'd, i'm really curious what like the reception would be if they 
it was basically just like a total like tank restart move for trading sack. I feel like people would be pretty pissed. But I mean, if it was like a, a total shit ton, like yeah, I could get behind it. But yeah, I mean, at this point, like you might, like I said, you mentioned the Bulls have a lot of their own assets and they have some theoretically interesting young players. Like Kobe being bad, this bad so far has been disappointing and kind of hurts this. But like, yeah, I mean, why not try to just trade for somebody to play with Zach instead of trading him and then starting over again? Like. Zach is, I think, good enough at this point where I, you're not going to build around him. Like that was the whole that was the whole conversation with Jimmy. Where it was like, well, can we build around him? Are we building with him? Like whatever. Like Jimmy was legitimately good enough to build around Zach. You're not really building around him, but you can absolutely build like a team, a good team with him. If the Bulls can cash in on some of these other assets, if they can get a good draft pick or two. So yeah, I'm I'm kind of on the same boat with you guys. Like I'm cool. I'm cool paying Zach now. He's proven enough to me that he's good enough. Where I think you can kind of roll f- forward with him if you don't want it. If you don't trade him again, if someone does come to the table with a huge deal, yeah, I mean why not? Sure, go for that trade. But we'll see. We got we got what a month and a half before the deadline. The Bulls have. Uh, well, I guess we don't really know when that second half of the schedule is coming out, but they got a somewhat soft schedule here. So like I said, let's let's wrap up here. We've been going for a while. Looking ahead for the Bulls, they have two games against the Magic this weekend, Friday, Saturday. The Magic are absolutely awful. They're ravaged by injuries. Uh, the Bulls probably should win both games, but I'd, you, you can never really put anything uh, past them to with their performance. So we will see. Like This is basically a – I saw somebody tweet out, this could be like a little – Maybe like a little make or break stretch for this team in terms of like if are they going to actually compete and like a legitimate uh, competitor for one of these playing spots or like the eight? I mean the East is such trash right now. The six seed is like ten and eleven is the Hawks. So like the Bulls are probably going to be there this whole time. But coming up, like I said, we got the Magic, we got the Wizards. Who are, like I said, they are playing a little better, but it's still the Wizards. The Pelicans after that. The Pelicans are actually beating the Suns' ass right now by twenty one points, which is kind of surprising. You. So the Pelicans have some talent, but again, that's four games against teams under 500 where the Bulls should have a decent chance of winning. Uh, if they if they can get through that with some wins, we'll we'll see kind of where they are at after that. But uh, but yeah, disappointing loss tonight for sure against the Knicks, uh, 107-103. We will so wrap it up right here, guys. Thank you so much for joining us here on Cash. Will and Kevin, as always. Will, thanks for joining me on the last pod that we did. Kevin, thanks for here joining us tonight as well. Uh, and Ricky, Ricky left us already. He had to bounce. So Ricky, as always, is great. Uh, and for me, Jason at Cash Considerations, thank you all. The rest of the listeners who joined us and added in the comments in the comments in the commentary in the discussion section. Uh, it was good stuff in here. We always appreciate your input. Uh, for for me, you know where to find me on Twitter. I'm at Bulls underscore J. You know where Ricky's at on Twitter at SBN underscore Ricky. So if you ever want to sh- give us shout outs on Twitter, if you want to. Uh, give us feedback or have any ideas. I think coming up pretty soon here, we're probably going to do a, a Q&A uh, on Twitter and do one of those for a cast because we haven't done one of those in a while. Uh, and it was, it was always shout out to Blue Wire Pods, Blue Wire Posting Cast Considerations. They are great. Uh, so again, thanks again, thanks again, guys. I'm going to take off here. Uh, it's a lot of fun tonight. And Bulls Magic coming up Friday. We'll see how this weekend goes against the Magic. Take it easy. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. 
From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.